Hello, this is Nick Walker, creator of Echoes of Exeser and the voice of Claude Von Der. This is the final episode of Season 1. Look for Season 2 to start around March 2019. In the meantime, I've got a couple announcements. First, I'm setting up a Patreon for Elderblade Productions. If you like the show, please consider subscribing with a monthly donation. Currently, it's just myself writing, producing, and acting, and while I do it for the love, it does take a lot of time and effort, and financial support is always appreciated. Donors to the Patreon will also receive access to bonus content, including one-shot episodes focusing on various supporting characters in Echoes of Exeser, and samples of an upcoming story called Kin of the Hidden Spider, a separate story taking place about 20 years after the events of the podcast. Look for that content to start coming out sometime in December. Also keep an eye out for Elderblade Productions on social media. I'll be putting up a Facebook and Twitter page in the coming days. As we come to the end of Season 1, I'd like to give a shout-out to some people who have helped make this story possible. Many characters and aspects of this world have been developed through role-playing games, and the following people have contributed greatly to making this world and the characters in it feel unique. Thanks to Heidi Walker, Brent Beneke, Tina Skeletsky, Alex Kump, Aaron Postma, and Kaylee Ayler for helping bring to life the likes of Tosca, Pluck, the Salamanders, and more. Last but not least, thanks to everyone who has listened this far and given your support. It really means the world to me. I look forward to continuing Claude Von Der's story with you all in March 2019. But for now, I give you the season finale of Echoes of Exeser. In the northernmost wastes of Exeser, atop a cold and silent mountain, in a temple devoted to the god of sleep, but poisoned by the lord of nightmares, I laid, bloodied and broken, before a chorus of a hundred or so. Kuga snarled down at me, his muzzle crimson and dripping. This would not be my end, I told myself. How I wish I had been wrong. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exeter. Episode 13, Yarash Kata. the storm of raw pain ravaging my mind. As Kuga tore into my body, I forced my hands to reach into the pouch at my side, feeling for the focus gems. They danced around my fingers as my body tumbled and shook underneath the bear man's assault. At one point, he picked me up with his teeth and flung me back towards the ground. The impact caused my hands to fly outward. As they did, I saw the focus gems scatter out the corner of my eye, tiny specks of glowing light in the darkness. Black, blue, 
and yellow. With all my strength, I catapulted my body to the side, lunging for the yellow gems. I managed to catch one in my hand, while the others rolled off the side of the walkway into one of the sleeping pits. Curling my hand around the gem, I tried to focus my mind on Kuga, the Urso behind him, the looming, unseen presence of Ananias. Suddenly, rapturously, it all faded. I still laid in the middle of the temple, but found to my delight there was no pain. My body was sore in the places where corn struck my chest, where my back hit the floor. But the axe wound, the goring from Kuga's bites, gone. I rose to sitting and looked around. Corin stood at the temple's entrance, watching me with timeless stoicism. The scores of Urso were still asleep in their pits. Behind me, I heard muffled, fearful whimpering. I turned to see Kuga, curled and quaking on the floor. His eyes were still shut, and he was muttering fervently, as though he were in some awful dream. Please depart. Put down the knife. Run, mother. Such vain creatures, came a voice. I turned to see Ananias standing directly over me. I scrambled backward, standing up and summoning my phantom armor and longsword. With a riotous yell, I vaulted forward, plunging the longsword into his breast. The sword went through him as though he were a cloud of mist. Ananias stood there, nonchalant, staring at me with his gangrenous left eye, while his right glass eye tilted towards the ground. You spend so much time pretending, he continued, as though nothing had happened. Pretending to be more than your fear. You build your entire lives around avoiding it. And in so doing, you waste the truth it offers you. Drawing back, I spun and delivered three swift slashes to the fright's torso, each time more futile than the last. Ananias smiled, then disappeared. I was left panting, staring at the haunting silhouette of Corin at the entrance ahead. Dismissing my sword, I summoned my crossbow and trained it on him. Quinn's right, I thought. If I can take down this hunk of metal, then maybe... Before I could fire, though, the temple around me began to warp and bend. I watched as the opening of the temple was stretched out, far into the horizon, and Corin with it. The same happened in all directions. Kuga, the reflecting pool, the sleeping pits... All of it now appeared to be miles away. The roof of the temple spread like dark canvas, blotting out the sky, walling off the wind. I was so far away from everything that it felt like being nowhere at all. An expanse of dark, empty space, suffocating in its vastness. I laughed it off. You didn't see what I made of your last illusion? I called out. You could dispel this vision, I suppose. Ananias's disembodied voice echoed. But if you'll indulge me, 
Perhaps I can help you with your little problem. You see, Vondair, I live by a code. Yerash Kata. Simply put, I believe most of life's pain comes from closing yourself off from the truth. You push it down, forget about it. But it doesn't forget you, does it? No. It clings to the deep reefs in the sea of your mind, waiting to rise. Somewhere in the protracted darkness, there came a flash of fire. A figure stood over the fire, appearing to be working diligently at some kind of kiln. Despite its ominous trappings, it felt strangely familiar. I was drawn to it. This cannot bode well, I thought. My hand cradled the focus gem. With a thought, I could wipe it all away, continue my advance on Corin. Yet I had to admit, my failed attempt on Ananias had unsettled me. These two were certainly forces to be reckoned with. I would need time to think of a strategy. And damn me if I didn't want to know, I thought. I dismissed my crossbow, but retained my armor. I stepped towards the fire. As I approached, the figure seemed to not take notice of me. Even as I stood at the fire directly in front of him, he continued as normal. The firelight revealed his face, which I recognized immediately, despite the ghoulish shadows cast by his wrinkles. It was my father. I couldn't remember his name. That part had been taken from me. But I still had his face in my memory. He and I shared the same round face, the same wide mouth and dimples. His nose was more blunted, with a knot along the bridge, indicating multiple breaks. He was taller than me, something I regretted never being able to surpass. His broad shoulders always looked to me like they could pull trees apart. Here, he was working at a kiln, heating panes of glass. My heart began to race. This was one of the few memories I still had from my old life. My father, the glassblower. Had Ananias been able to see this deeply into my mind? I watched my father put a piece into the kiln beautiful stained-glass mural, possibly a church commission. When he was done, I saw him walk off, his figure phasing out of the vision. Then, I saw another figure enter the scene, a child, no older than five or six, messy brown hair, longish nose, a cleft chin. Me. I watched my child self approach the kiln, eyes full of wonder. My child self pulled the door to the kiln open. A moment later, my father rushed back into the scene. He pushed his son away, slammed the kiln door shut. He peered inside the kiln, cursing. Whirling around, he shouted at the boy, raised his fist. He caught himself. The boy sat on the floor, in tears. Despondent, my father stalked away. 
It was just you and him for so long. Ananias' voice chimed. Your mother Elaine fell ill with the folly and passed away soon after you were born. Too poor to pay for medicine, sadly. Your father Gareth worked day and night at the kilns to keep you fed. The fire snuffed out, and the figures with it. The names Ananias had said resonated deep within me. Gareth. Elaine. I recognized the truth of those names, and they pulled on my heart. I'd had no siblings, no extended family. It had been just my father and I in those early days. But what happened to him? From elsewhere, I began to hear the clashing of swords mixed with war cries and horse hooves. I followed the sound, moving through the endless darkness. Soon enough, I arrived in a battlefield in broad daylight. I could only see a small sliver of the scene. Human men and women charging on foot or on horseback to engage an encroaching enemy. The Draelish. They fought in the darkness beyond the memory. While running to join the fight, one human caught an arrow in the chest and collapsed at my feet. He rolled over onto his back, clutching the arrow, trying to remove it. Underneath his helm, in the full light of the sun, I could see his face. Again, it was me, this time as a young man. It was shocking to see my true face again. This version of me hadn't grown into his nose, but the rest of his features had filled out. My double wore half-plate armor. The arrow had found purchase between his plates, sticking out from his collarbone. My helmet had been knocked askew, and I saw on my forehead the cut that would later become a scar. I watched the memory with rapt attention. This... this was new to me. I was a soldier? In what war? This could be a trick, I reminded myself. Ananias fabricating parts of my life to... Rowan! Came a voice. Rowan! Are you alright? My heart halted. My nerves lit up like a lightning storm as waves of sense memory washed over my body. I remembered that name. What's more, I remembered that voice. Into the scene ran another young man in polished half-plate armor. He knelt down to help. The sight of him stole my breath and put a chill along the curve of my neck. It was Nyx. He was in decidedly better shape. His shoulder-length brown hair was healthy and lustrous, and his green eyes were void of any blood or hunger. His skin was smooth and rosy, and he moved with a spryness and vigor that embarrassed my memory of him. Steady, Rowan, he breathed, hands gripping the arrow lodged in my chest. Can't die on your first skirmish. I'll kill you if you do. <laughs> Go scorch yourself, my younger self muttered from the ground. It was a lucky shot. Aye, well, 
Dog's luck, I suppose. With a yank, Nix broke off the arrow's shaft. Right. Looks like it didn't hit any vital bits. Best keep it where it's at until we can get you to a doctor. If I live that long, my younger self breathed. I reckon you will, said Nix. He offered his friend a hand. Seems to be our lot in this pit-fallen world. Only the lucky die. My younger self took Nix's hand. As he stood, the scene evaporated into mist before me. I gaped at what I had just seen. It felt like some pitch-dark corner of my mind had finally seen daylight. I recalled enlisting in the Rothian army as a young man, eager to escape poverty and rise above my station. It had been the start of the candlelight war between humankind and the Draelish. There I met Nix, brash yet loyal, seeking glory for his family name. Even then, I remembered he'd had a fondness for dice. Rowan, I thought with a chill of familiarity. He called me Rowan. To my far right, I heard the faint sound of weeping. I followed the sound, my steps now heavy with apprehension. Each vignette dug deeper into my heart, revealing secrets long buried. It was like I was meeting myself for the first time. And beyond this, in the back of my mind, I knew I still had a fight to finish. I thought of the focus gems that had fallen into the sleeping pit. The blue gems forge water. I remembered, thinking of the water whips Merriweather had made back in Sunscape. If I can get out of this vision in time to reach them. Before I could plan any further, I saw the darkness around me form into a jail cell. The air was stagnant, and the stench of blood and bile immersed my nose and mouth. I was standing outside the bars of one particular cell, looking at a man suspended in its center, his limbs chained to the four corners. He was naked, save for a loincloth, and his body was covered in fresh cuts and bruises. His head drooped low, seemingly in exhaustion. Splatters of rainwater leaked through the cracks above his head, slapping the stone floor and drowning out his low, sad moans. Gradually, I felt my stomach harden into a knot. My legs began to weaken. I did not want to remember this. It won't take much, came a silken voice from behind. I turned to see an armored Adrelish woman staring at me. A stab here, a strike there. Any day now, I will take his last breath. She had a lithe, looming body, looking like a wraith in her black cape and polished silver chainmail. Her eyes glowed scarlet red, the same color as her hair, which trailed in long coils behind her. She appeared middle-aged, though despite a few wrinkles her sharp features still held an imposing beauty. A burn mark on the left side of her neck stretched up to her cheek, like a comet leaving a trail behind itself. Her horns stuck straight out like a bull, 
and appeared encrusted with dried blood. Before I could answer her, another voice directly to my left said, No! I jumped. It was my past self again, the man called Rowan. He looked roughly the same age as the last vision, only this time he was dressed in rags, scarred and bloodied, hands and feet shackled. Rowan knelt on the floor, looking up at his drailish captor, tears streaming down his face. Please, I beg you, release him. He's done nothing to deserve this. Unlike my people, who deserved the pious barbarism of your Adenists? The Draelish woman approached my other self, kneeling to face him eye to eye. She reached up and grabbed the back of his head, pulling him closer until her horns cut into his temples. It's been a long war, Rowan of Shalecross. We've all crossed lines we shouldn't have. What's a few more? Please. Gods, I'll do anything. Let him go, Inquisitor. Punish me instead. Oh, I intend to, said the Inquisitor with a relishing smile. I have a proposal for you, human. A job for which you are uniquely suited. Do it for me, and I will consider letting him go. I watched the scene unfold in horror. I wanted to run away, hide myself from the flood of remembrance that drowned my senses now. I remembered being captured by this woman's company on my first tour. I remembered those long, desperate days of torture at her hands as she tried to break my mind and body. I remembered this cold, wet night when she threatened me with the one thing I could not endure. Almost against my will, I looked again at the man in the cell. I saw him lift his head to look at Rowan. It was my father. His hair had turned silver, and deep wrinkles were now carved into his face. But it was him all the same. His wide mouth fumbled to form words. I could not see him back then, but now I could read what his cracked, pale lips were trying to say. Don't do it. Rowan paid him no heed. All right, he said. Whatever it is, I'll help. Just let him live. Excellent, said the Inquisitor. Then follow me. We've quite the journey ahead of us. There was a sudden, deafening crash of lightning. I ducked and shielded my eyes from the flash. When it faded, I found myself in a storm-ravaged forest. Rain fell, so heavily it bent the branches of the trees. The sky above cackled with thunder, and ghostly fingers of lightning slashed through the black-gray canvas. I stood straight wiped the rain from my eyes. Above the howling wind, I heard the Inquisitor's voice. You're certain he's here? I turned around. Rowan stood next to the Inquisitor at the edge of a tree line. 
he was still in rags, shivering to death in the rain. The Inquisitor dragged him by a chain linked to his handcuffs. Together they stood uphill of me, looking down upon a clearing. Yes, yes, was all Rowan could say. After a pause, he added, They sent him home after he was wounded in battle. <laughs> wounded while killing my brothers and sisters in arms, you mean. Please don't do this, Inquisitor. He was just following orders, same as your people. Just let him live. The Inquisitor faced Rowan. Her glowing red eye beamed like the blood moon in the dead of night. You know something? You've convinced me, Rowan. Just for you, I'll let him live. Oh, thank you, Inquisitor. Thank... Laughter. Footsteps in mud. The sound struck me like a brand on my neck, like a nine-tail whip across my back. I fell to my knees, as did Rowan. We watched, mortified, as a little girl ran through the trees near us. She flapped her arms like bird wings, blissfully unaware. I wanted to vomit, my heart slammed against my ribcage. I couldn't breathe. I pressed my head into the dirt, screaming through grit teeth. Gods, I prayed. By all the gods, let this not be. By the five sisters of Aden. By the secret gods lost to time. By Isolde and every fright in existence. Don't let this be the truth. It was Rowan's turn to pray. Oh, gods... God, no, he pleaded. The Inquisitor watched the little girl run back into the cabin, smiling wide with satisfaction. With a strong pull on the chain, she forced Rowan to stand as she descended from the tree line on the hill towards the cabin. Frenzied, I clawed my way to standing and followed them. I have to stop it, I thought madly, forgetting this was a memory. I followed the Inquisitor across the field, my mind on fire with recollection. I recalled the way my knees bled from being dragged through the mud, the way the little girl's laughter played over and over in my ears long after she'd gone inside, the way I let my body weight sink to the floor, racked with guilt, wanting nothing but the release of death. Abruptly, Rowan tried to cry out partly as a warning, partly in despair. Before his voice could carry, the Inquisitor struck him in the stomach, knocking the wind out of him. She took a gag from her satchel, forcing it into Rowan's mouth. Shh. It'll all be over soon. Enraged, I took a running leap and tackled the Inquisitor, only to phase through her and land in the mud. The Inquisitor continued unfazed towards the cabin door, dragging my defeated past self behind her. From the rain-drenched mud, I watched, powerless, as she gave three solid knocks on the door, then three more. 
seconds passed like eons unto themselves. This isn't us, I shouted, as though Rowan would hear me. Fight her! Warn them! Do something! This isn't who we- The door opened. A man stood in the doorframe, clad in furs, backlit by the warm hues of hearthfire and candlelight. I couldn't see his face, but I didn't need to. The memory seeped in, like poison in my veins. Nyx. Rowan screamed through his bindings as the Inquisitor drew her longsword. Nyx shouted for his family to run. As he turned inside to make for his weapon, the Inquisitor slashed his back and he fell at the entryway. She stood on Nyx's back and drove the longsword into his leg. Rowan crumpled at the door, sobbing. The Inquisitor pulled the longsword out and proceeded inwards. Nyx's wife screamed. Zara, I thought. Her name was Zara. Their child started crying. Leona. The name pierced my mind. As the tables and chairs toppled and the dishes crashed, I heard the Inquisitor begin to sing. I made a wish unto a fountain. I prayed that you'd return to me. My days and deeds have left me undone. Your face, your face will set me free. I blinked. And suddenly I found myself in the basement of Nix's cabin. Nix lay next to his daughter on a marble stone floor. She was face down, motionless. A trail of blood followed Nix from the stairs. He had dragged himself there. At the foot of the stairs, Rowan was on all fours staring at them both, eyes red and drowned with tears. Nix met his eyes, speechless. I'm so sorry, Rowan whispered. Nix, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry, Nix, I whispered, voice raspy and halting through the tears. Gods, what have I done? You did what you had to, Rowan. Ananias's voice echoed from all around me. The memory froze into a chilling tableau as he spoke. You survived. That's who you are. There's no shame in looking after yourself. It's quite natural for your kind. Some are just more adept at it than others. You're wrong, I barked back. I undid it. Everything. My pact with Isolde. Ah, of course. And what do you think she'll make of your pact when she discovers you betrayed her trust? 
We frights aren't known to be forgiving. His words rattled inside my aching head. Had I truly ruined everything? Could I truly be so foolish, so weak, as to risk the lives of Nix's family? Maybe, maybe this is who I am, I thought. In my heart, I can't escape it. I see I've made my point. Alternatively, you could join me. Forsake Isolde and become my kin instead. Lead me to the Ebon Mist and I will take her power for myself. Your friend's family will remain safe when I become Lord of the Mist. Perhaps I can even help you find this infamous Inquisitor as a reward for your trouble. As he spoke, I thought of Kuga, sprawled on the floor of the temple, trapped in a nightmare of Ananias's design. I thought of the enthralled Urso on this mountain, of Miss Liger. This was a monster in the purest sense of the word. But who was I to speak of monsters? I clenched down on the focus gem in my hand, dispelling the vision around me. I found myself again in the temple, on the walkway between the sleeping pits. Kuga was still asleep, fighting unknown terrors. The mountain wind rang the chimes once more, and everything was eerily calm after what I had just witnessed. All right, I said slowly. What do I have to do? Approach my armor. I rounded to face Corin, still standing at the entrance. I noticed he now held a large, translucent stone on a silk pillow, similar to the one I had seen through Kuga's eyes in his memory. Wisps of faint, white light swirled around inside. I closed in on Corin. The armor stood like an obelisk barely contained within the tall archway of the temple door. I stood directly in front of him. His frame blocked the light and ice wind from outside, almost like a void unto himself. You are a broken thing indeed. Yet broken things can still be useful when repurposed. Place your hand on the gemstone. Bind to me your dreams, your nightmares. Pledge yourself to me, Rowan of Shalecross. My hand rose, hovering over the gemstone. I felt the stone tingle with electricity. The ghostly flecks paused their swirling, as though in anticipation. I took a deep breath trying to quell the warring emotions within me. Guilt, despair, shame, self-hatred. None of that matters now, I told myself. Set it behind you. Right now, there is only this moment.
This will not make things right. That is impossible now. But this is the only choice I have left. Like he said, I'm a survivor. I looked up into the empty eye slits of Corin's helm. My name is Claude Vondaire. I shot my hand upward, summoned the phantom dagger, and plunged it underneath Corin's helm into his neck. Corin recoiled, dropping the gemstone. It smashed onto the floor, and the wisps inside swarmed into the air above our heads and dissipated. I backed away as Corin kneeled, clutching his neck. I saw a trail of black energy seeping out from where I had struck him. While he struggled, I turned and made for the sleeping pits by the reflecting pool. Nearing the pit where I dropped the focus gems, I slid onto the ground and dropped down inside. I got on all fours, searching around the scores of sleeping Urso for the remaining gems. Ah, mortals. So eager to die. I flinched as a bear paw slammed down in front of me. Just like in the nightmare from before, the sleeping Urso began to rise. As they did, I saw the glimmers of blue, yellow, and black in the opposite corner of the pit, near the stairway. I pushed my way through the mass of bears, trying to reach the gems before they could gather their bearings. I came within arm's reach before I felt one of the bear's palms slam into my chest, pinning me against the wall of the sleeping pit. With closed eyes, the Urso bared his fangs at me, raising his other paw up to swipe at my face. Forgive me, I said. I plunged the phantom dagger into the arm that had me pinned. Yelping, the Urso released me. I scooped up the gemstones and raced up the stairs. No sooner had I cleared the stairway, I saw Corin barreling towards me with the speed of a charging bull. I had just enough time to summon my armor before he made contact. He slammed into me, launching me backwards towards the reflecting pool in the center of the temple. I crashed into the pool, gasping as my entire back lit up in pain. The world around me spun and split. I slid to the floor, and my weight tipped the basin over and splashed water everywhere. I struggled to rise, but my back spasmed. I heard thundering footsteps. Corin was readying another strike. I tried to use one of the focus gems in my hand, but I was too disoriented to focus. Absently, my glazed eyes searched for something to buy myself time. Just before Corin closed in, I noted the kiln that had rested underneath the reflecting pool. It had been dislodged from its mooring when I hit it. Wildly, I kicked at it. It spun outward, crashing against Corin's legs and setting them ablaze. Corin reeled back, attempting to stomp out the fire. Even so, it became clear to me that it would not keep him busy for long. To make matters worse, the sleeping Urso were now clearing the stairway, approaching the walkway up towards us. How in the pit am I going to take on all of them, I thought. While the armored golem was distracted, I thought of the gems at my disposal. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Kuga laying near me, 
I had an idea. Abiding the pain in my back, I dragged myself across the floor towards him. Taking his arm, I placed my last yellow gemstone in his paw. Kuga, listen to me, I panted. If you can hear me, use this. Focus on waking up. Focus on... The weight of a metal gauntlet pressed down on my back. I felt Corin grip my phantom armor by the cuirass and lift my entire body into the air. Then, he slammed me back down with all the force he could muster. I felt several of my ribs break. Blood spewed from my mouth. I wheezed. He lifted me up a second time. Before I rose too high, I dismissed the phantom armor and rolled onto my back. Corin had a moment of confusion before he cocked his gauntleted fist for another blow. Through the fresh starbursts of pain in my chest, I forced myself to focus on the gemstones in my hand. Do this now, I ordered myself, fixing my mind on the puddles of water on the floor around us. Do this now, or you will die. Corin brought his fist down. Before he could make contact, a tendril of rapid water exploded near him, knocking his fist out of the way. I focused on tailing the water where I wanted it to go, spinning it around Corin's legs and forcing him to slip. Corin fell to his knees. Before he could lunge at me, I called up a wall of water to blast at his face. He lifted his arms to swipe the water away, exposing a crack in the breastplate. Jumping on the distraction, I summoned my armor and longsword again. My entire torso felt like it was being stabbed by a thousand red-hot irons. Adrenaline and the fear of death coursing through me, I wrenched myself up with a wail and drove the longsword deep into the side of his chest. Like the roots of a tree, spindles of black energy erupted from the cracks in Corin's armor. The black energy traveled up my sword and covered my body. I seized clenching my teeth as my body convulsed from the shock. Corin pulled away from me, and the shock abated. I fell backwards, exhausted, just in time to see a brown-furred urso clamp his jaws down on my leg. I screamed as the pressure crushed my bone. I raised my sword arm to strike, only to have a second bear man clutch it in his paws. The two began to thrash my body like a rag doll while the others gathered behind them, all hungry for their turn. The bear men toyed with me, like children playing with their food. With a sharp yank, my arm was torn out of its socket. The pain was so intense I thought I might pass out. From the corner of my eye, I saw Corin begin to rise. The black energy was subsiding, and he stood tall, as though he were healing himself. He took everything I had like it's nothing, I thought. I watched, hopeless, as Corin stepped towards me, watching the two Urso rip me to shreds. It came slowly to me, softly, like the setting of the sun. I would die here. I would die as I'd lived. A coward. A traitor a worthless pawn in a game I couldn't begin to understand. I'm sorry, I thought. 
unsure of who I was saying it to. Nix? My father? Quinn, who warned me not to come? Even Isolde, whose trust I betrayed, who offered me another chance at life through the ebon mist. The ebon mist. Suddenly, a roaring battle cry rang out through the temple. The Urso, mauling me, let go and backed away, just in time to dodge a war axe sweeping towards them. I looked up to find Kuga Grakonok standing over me, snarling at his brethren, clutching the axe in one hand and the yellow gemstone in the other. He swung the axe again, and his fellow bear men recoiled. Elated as I was to see him awake, I knew we were still far too outnumbered. He'd gotten the element of surprise, but he would not be able to hold them off for long. My body was too mangled to be of any help, and with Corin healed, my eyes fixed on the skylight at the pinnacle of the dome. I am Claude Von Der, I thought. I heard Corin step towards us, his massive metal boots booming like war drums as he walked. He lunged towards Kuga, clutching the arm that held his gemstone. Just close enough. I am Claude Von Der, I thought again, as I spent the last of my body's strength to roll to the side and latch on to Corin's boot with my good hand. Small mortars of agony erupted inside of me as my weight shifted to my dislocated arm, to my broken and bruised ribs. I closed my eyes and willed my mind calm, fixating on the skylight, on the clouds high above, and the black gemstone in my hand. I am Claude Von Der, kin of the Ebon Mist. In an instant, the temple vanished into a tunnel of shadows around myself and Corin. The echoes of Exesor once again filled my ears. Sea shanties on a galleon, avalanches, a snake through tall grass, a father giving a toast at his daughter's wedding. The tunnel opened up, and we found ourselves hundreds of feet above where we just were. We fell together, Corin and I, plummeting in tandem towards the dome of the temple. The ice wind cut deep into my skin, stealing my breath away. Our bodies flailed, spinning helplessly in the air. The force tore at my dislocated arm. It was pain unlike any I had ever experienced. But I was beyond that now. I had accepted my fate. With my good hand, I clutched the edge of Corin's breastplate and pulled him close to me. The mark of the ebon mist glowed ice blue on my right arm. I am Claude Von Der. Kin of the Ebon Mist, in the name of my patron Isolde, I banish you, Ananias, Lord of Nightmares, from this realm. My right arm erupted in ice-blue flame, which engulfed Corin and I both. We screamed and writhed together, falling like twin stars towards their demise. The dome raced to meet us. Corin struck it first, crashing through the skylight. My body shook as chunks of stone battered my body, lacerating my skin. The din of a hundred raging Urso stopped abruptly as Corin and I met the center of the temple with a deafening smash. Everything went dark, 
and cold, and so very quiet. What I'm about to tell you next is difficult to explain. After all this time, I still don't fully grasp it myself. If you are wondering how I survived, well, I didn't. I can tell you, sure as the sun chases the moon, that I died that day on the mountain. I felt nothing, I was nothing after the fall. For most, that would be the end of the story. For me, it was just the beginning. Because in that eternal quiet, I heard voices. Let me guess. Another of your games, my love. It was a masculine voice, old as the stars. He was not speaking to me. Intimacy was in his voice, playfulness, but also sadness. A deep sadness so well-worn, he didn't bother to hide it. It was as though he'd spoken these words since the birth of time, and would continue to speak them until its demise. Of course, my love. Never a dull moment with me, is there? A woman's voice. When I think about her voice, it makes me want to dance, to paint, sing, go to the theater. I am filled with vigor and a hunger to experience every moment as though it were my last. Yet she too had a sadness about her, one that seems different than the man's, almost oppositional. You realize, dearest, that this is exactly the sort of thing I am trying to protect you from? The sort of thing that is slowly... Yes, dearest. Which is exactly why we play these games. I'll show you how silly you're being if it's the last thing I do. Indeed. Still, this one... You see how he wavers, my heart song. He is the worst of your lot. He may yet surprise you, my ever dream. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe I see one of your lot wavering as well. Hmm. Very well. We'll do it your way. Just promise me you won't cry, life mate. When I prove you wrong, I won't, because it won't happen, life mate. Good then. Splendid. I love you. I love you too. With that, the voices ceased. And a moment later, impossibly, I woke found myself lying in the bed of my quarters in the ebon mist. I tried to move, and noticed that my arm, leg, and torso were dressed and braced. I heard a mechanical whirring sound above my head. Toast was there, scanning my injuries. The service drone made a beeping sound. A few minutes later, Quinn entered through my front door. 
she walked up to me slowly, looking me up and down. Her face was stone, and her eyes betrayed a mixture of worry and anger. How do you feel? she asked. I've been better, but I think I'll... Good, she said, and punched my arm hard. Ow! I cried. The next time you try to get yourself killed, do it without my help, bile brain. <laughs> All right, I deserved that. You were right, Quinn. I shouldn't have gone. Scorching right. By the five, if you even knew what I had to do to save your life. You should be dead, Von Der. A fall like that? It's a miracle you pulled through. Quinn, what happened? I mean, after I... you know. Well, after your spectacularly stupid stunt, Corrin was destroyed, and Ananias with it. I guess the armor functioned as a sort of phylactery for the fright spirit. After he was gone, the possessed Urso returned to their normal sleeping state. Our agents found you in the lower levels, near one of the pyres of burning demon's teeth. That last part surprised me. Could it have been Kuga? Perhaps the drug had slowed my body's metabolism down enough to keep me alive until I could be recovered. And Kuga? I asked. Nowhere to be found, Quinn said. Must have escaped before we got there. I nodded. I saved his life. He saved mine. Urso truly know how to honor debts, it seemed. Regardless, we disposed of the remaining demon's teeth. The place was littered with conked-out Urso, so it seems like the spell's been broken, at least to some degree. It'll take some time to get a sense for how the other victims across Exesor are faring, but... Scorch it all, it seems like you did it, Von Der. Despite Quinn's words, I couldn't bring myself to smile. I very nearly ruined everything, and bought a narrow victory at a terrible cost. And I couldn't help but notice there was a presence missing from the room. Yet if I'm still here in the mist, I thought curiously. I looked down at my right arm. The mark of the ebon mist was still there. Quinn, where is Isolde? Quinn sighed clearly aware that question was coming. She's waiting for you. She said to wait until you had healed a bit. Sounds like you both have some talking to do. Is she, you know, mad? Mmm, define mad. I groaned. That bad, huh? Like I said, talk to her. When you're ready. Quinn tapped on toast. He projected a few statistics for her to read. When she was done, she closed the projection and looked down at me. Hey, Von Der, I... Well, I'm glad you're not dead, for what it's worth. Thanks, Quinn. Me too. Quinn smiled despite herself. She left my quarters leaving me to ponder everything I'd experienced. The return of my memories. My betrayal of Nick's. I still couldn't believe I'd done such a thing.
even if I did try to make it right later. I thought about him out there, sailing with the salamanders in the sea of last breaths. He only saw my glamoured face. He thought of me as a hero. I swore right then that if I ever saw him again, I would tell him the truth. I would give him the chance to respond to me, whatever that response may be. I owed him that much. I also knew I had a newfound enemy, a name to a long-forgotten face. The Inquisitor. Perhaps I could learn more about her from the name Meriwether gave me. Storm Dreamer, the entertainer from Mira, the one who made Return to Me a popular regional ballad. What's more, there was the matter of my father. Did the Inquisitor really spare his life? If so, where could he be now? Finally, there were those voices. Was it merely a fever dream brought on by the demon's teeth? Was it the work of yet more frights eager to play with my mind? Or was it something else entirely? More questions, I thought wearily. Fewer answers. Before I could answer any of those, however, there was one question I had to answer first. The most vital question of all. What would Isolde do with me? A few days later, after I had recovered enough to walk with crutches, I met with Isolde. My patron fright stood in her cedar tree grove in the forest of the mist, overlooking the marbled fountain and drinking a glass of wine. She'd taken on yet another form, this time appearing as a maiden with long, silken red hair, her body sheathed in vines like a cocoon. She did not turn around when I approached. She simply gestured for me to sit down. I did so, resting my crutches against a nearby table. You disobeyed me, she said after a pause. Yes, was all I could say. You ignored my command to stay out of the fight. You went in unprepared, jeopardizing countless lives as well as the security of my sanctum. Yes, Isolde. I felt my stomach turn as she spoke. I wasn't sure where this was going, but it did not feel good. And in the process, you saw. I started. What do you... It was unforeseen that another fright could see so deeply into your mind. Isolde swirled her wine around, pensively. I knew from the moment we melted your mind with Kuga. I... I misjudged Ananias. What I offer to my kin is supposed to be absolute. A fresh start. I put you in a position to be exploited, and for that, I apologize. She looked at me earnestly, with eyes green as mildewed grass. She seemed uncomfortable, perhaps even humbled. I was shocked to feel such sincerity from her gesture. 
Perhaps this was the first time she'd ever apologized to anyone, let alone a mortal. She returned her gaze to the fountain. And while you disobeyed my orders, you have not forsaken your service. In fact, you defended me until the end. You were prepared to give your life for my cause, even when you still don't understand it. Decisively, she downed the wine in one gulp, holding the rim of the empty glass to her lips. So, the pact will remain, but the contract must be renegotiated. Pardon? With a flick of her wrist, Isolde called a wine bottle towards her as she crossed to the table where I sat. She pulled up a chair across from me, taking the bottle in her slender, pale hands and refilling her glass. It would be simple for me to take your memories again, Vondere. Or should I say, Rowan? She glared at me briefly. But that would merely put a bandage on the problem. Even before Ananias, I could tell you were curious. Obsessed, perhaps. I told myself you would eventually settle into your new life, like most of my other kin. Now I see that line of thinking is not only wrong, but dangerous. You will never stop searching for yourself. Isolde, after what I've seen, the things I've done to Nix and his family, no price is too high to keep them safe. If I must go mad from ignorance, so be it. Noble. But if you are to be in my service, you must be reliable. Your hunger for the truth will always get in the way of my broader mission. At this, Isolde surveyed the grove around her, seeming for a moment captured by the beauty of the glowing trees. Vondere. I am dying. Like most of the frights on this plane, the sundering sealed me in this realm, away from my true home. Windengrail, home of the whispering spires, the realm of the frights. My bond with kin like yourself has helped sustain me all these years, but it is not enough. I am bleeding out, as it were, growing weaker with each passing age. It is why I do not engage the warden directly, why Ananias was even a threat to begin with. The day will come when I am barely the master of my own shadow, let alone others. I stayed silent, trying to absorb what she was saying. I'd never seen Isolde, or any fright for that matter, show such vulnerability. I thought of how much power Isolde was exerting over this world, how many kindred were in her service, unwittingly keeping her alive while they fulfilled her desires. How could she handle such strain? How much longer did she have? And when she finally passed, what would become of her kin, of the Ebon Mist 
of the shadows themselves. Isolde smirked, noting the conflict on my face. I said I would tell you more about why you're here, what my purpose is in all of this. The truth, Von Der, is that I hate this world. I hate what it does to my kind and yours. From the moment the Alzarians started to enslave my kind, it has brought nothing but misery to Exeser. And it will continue as long as we coexist. I seek to put an end to it. The frights, the kindred, all of it. I frowned at her, unsure of what I was hearing. You'd... you'd kill all of your own kind in Exeser. And all who are bound to them? Surely there are some worth sparing. We need not kill, not always. Banishment to the other planes, containment if necessary, though I'd like to avoid using Alzarian science. Those butchers have done enough to us. Still, I said, fumbling for the words. Certainly, frights in their kin could inflict terrible harm. But now, more than ever, I could see that they were more than just monsters. Could there be another way? Could we learn from our scarred past, use our collective strength to better each other? Or was this the same naive thinking the Alzarians first had? Isolde, you said it yourself. You offered me a fresh start when I came to you, a chance to turn my mistakes into a force for good. Don't others deserve the same chance? Don't your own people? Isolde held my gaze in her emerald eyes. I saw my words resonated with her. Yet I also saw a grim resolve. It was clear she had once thought as I did. Perhaps that was her mindset when she started her mission all those centuries ago. But time, age, and disappointment have a way of washing out the colors. I know this is hard to hear, Von Der. I understand your concern, but I am set on my path. Now the only question is, will you walk that path with me, knowing what you know? If I do, what becomes of Nix and his family? In response, Isolde rose from her seat, striding over to the marble fountain again. She waved a hand over it. Same as before, the water in the pool bubbled up and rose, forming into a vignette. This time it depicted three familiar individuals, Nix and his family. Our original pact brought them back to life at the cost of your memories. With your past restored to you, the magic that protects them is compromised. They still live, but the universe will try to correct itself. She waved her hand, and the vignette spilled back into the pool. Another figure rose in the water, the Inquisitor. She will learn of their survival. 
she will redouble her efforts. She will not stop hunting them. To take her revenge on Nyx, she will use everything at her disposal. Isolde dismissed the vignette back into the pool. She turned to approach me. The Inquisitor has powerful friends. Confronting her will set events in motion that will change the face of Exesor. Events not even I will be able to undo. She stood directly in front of me now. This is your new deal, Vondair. The best that I can offer. Their fates will be completely in your hands. My blood rushed. My face grew hot. My hands tingled. I felt fear. Guilt. But also, for the first time in what felt like eternity, purpose. I will not fail them again, I thought. If it took a war on every fright in Exesor to save their lives, I would pay that price. Shakily, I pushed myself to a standing position, facing Isolde eye to eye. And in return, I will help you end the frights and the kindred, once and for all. I offered my hand. Isolde took it. Again, I recited my pledge to the Ebon Mist. Only this time, I meant every word. I am your blade to be wielded. I am your arrow to be aimed. I am your enemy's last sight. I am your phantom in the mist. I am yours. Deep in the Crownwood Forest, in the Kingdom of Roth, there was a cabin. It lay nestled in the center of a grassy plain, surrounded by a thick wall of trees. I had only ever seen this cabin immersed in storms, haunted by the shadow of my past. Now, though, it basked in daylight, smiled upon by a perfect sapphire sky. I knocked on the door. Moments later, it opened. I saw two faces I had only ever seen in pain and terror. A woman and her daughter. Nix's wife, Zara, had a few more strands of gray in her red hair, but otherwise looked the same. Their daughter, Leona, had grown, her brown eyes now speckled with hints of green. My true face was hidden to them, but they still met my eyes with apprehension. Zara held a crossbow aimed directly at my chest. "'What's your business here, stranger?' she said. Leona's wide eyes latched onto me. There was a certain curiosity in her gaze that overpowered her fear. I raised my arms high. I'm sorry to intrude, I said, struck by the impossibility of the moment. My name is Claude Von Der. I've come because you are in grave danger. A friend sent me to protect you. What are you talking about? Zara scoffed. Why in the pit should I believe you? And then... I said the words that would change all of our lives, and all of Exesor, forever.
because I know where to find Nyx. Echoes of X Caesar is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand, Freesound.org, and Sword Coast Soundscapes on YouTube. Link in the description. Questions or comments, email us at echoesofxcaesar at gmail.com.